7.04, and boy, Action Pack does not do this show justice. It's a busy one tonight. Iron Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. Hope that you're having a great start to your week as we get ready for Monday Night Football. Iris Steelers are taking on the undefeated Tampa Bay Buccaneers, headed up by Ryan Fitzmagic. Fitzpatrick, plenty to talk about with that uh, coming up in just a few minutes here on Ira on Sports. But first, first, first and foremost, um, Ira, we, we will talk about where you are in just a second, but where have you been this past week? I know you're always busy. <laughs> well, I was, saying, I, was, I was thinking of going to East Lake to see Tiger, but I needed, knew I knew it needed to be at Tampa tonight, and it was going to be hard for me to go from to see both. But uh, this week I have a busy schedule. I'm going to be in Tampa right now for the game, and then I'll see the Hurricanes play the, uh, North Carolina on Thursday, and then Penn State, Ohio State on Saturday, and the Steelers-Ravens game on Sunday in Pittsburgh. So it's going to be a busy week this week. Uh, Ira, before we talk about tonight, did... <laughs> I've never attended a game that Ohio State played in. And obviously there's the Michigan versus Ohio States where it it brings out everybody. Uh, How does Penn State versus Ohio State stack up? Well, it's going to be, game day is going to be there. It's going to be, it's the game. It's really, it's deciding on who's going to win the, you know, be in the national championship picture. Um, And it's going to be, they've, the last two games have been classics, some of the best games ever played in Penn State history in terms of the excitement. Uh, last year at Ohio State, two years ago at Penn State on the block field goal. So, I mean, it's going to be a whiteout, 7.30 at night, prime time, uh, must-watch TV. Uh, coming up in just a moment, a familiar face back in the winner's circle. We predicted it here on Iron Sports. We've got that to discuss. Plus, two Florida NFL teams are undefeated Probably not who you would have picked going into the season. Ira, you know, you you brought up something, and it's a question I've always had. What is it like being at a college football game when college game day is there? I I imagine the excitement just goes through the roof. Yeah, I mean, they're both excited. Look, I'm pumped today. I love, the last time I was in the stadium, but not last, but it was uh, when the Steelers won the Super Bowl against uh, the Arizona Cardinals. So it's good memories for the Steelers, good memories for Ben. Um, You know, a great place where he won his second Super Bowl. So, um, but... You know, nothing is better than being on campus for a game, uh, Penn State, uh, Ohio State. It's, uh, they both have great – I'm pumped for tonight's game. This could be – anybody who is thinking about what they're doing tonight, watch this game one day football. It should be like a 45-50 game, so it's going to be very exciting. I do think this one's going to get out of hand score-wise. I think there won't be that much defense played. And with the way Ryan Fitzpatrick's playing, it's going to be hard to slow him down from the, from the Steelers' D. Um, so let's talk about tonight. You're at Raymond James Stadium, Monday Night Football. The Steelers are going to be giving a few points, uh, I mean, getting a few points, as they should be, in Tampa Bay. You know that line opened up with the Steelers giving points as of last week. Obviously, the betters don't feel the same way. We'll get Iris' take on it in a moment. But, uh you know, if we've never been to Raymond James Stadium, Ira, tell us what we can expect, and also where are you at? Well, I'm in the club section now, and they have a great club. I mean, this is beautiful in here, and it's actually much more improved than I was here last. And you can actually sit in the club and watch the game, which is pretty cool, because a lot of times you go to the club section and you can't see, and there's glass. But I sent you a picture just a few minutes ago. It's just beautiful. The players are stretching. on. When you go to college bowl games before the games, it's neat, because the whole team runs out. They're doing their drills. They're on the field for maybe 20 minutes before, 20 minutes long, you know, 20 minutes in length. The pros are not as excited. I mean, there's less players. I mean, there's like 100 or 85 uh, college players that run out. Uh, not as many for uh, for pro football teams. But it, right now, you can see Ben out there and the, the, uh, and Fitzpatrick. They're throwing the ball around. The kickers are out there. So it's pretty exciting. Now, there's been 
heavy downpour rainstorms. And if we get another lightning storm, this game could be delayed. The start could be delayed because it just it was sunny, and then this is Florida weather. But there was lightning. It's almost like lightning hit the stadium. Yeah, actually, I'm checking on Twitter as we go. They actually closed the parking lots for a little while due to thunder and lightning, but everything's reopened at Raymond James Stadium. You're smart, though, Ira. I'm sure you've been there for hours before this kicked into play. We're going to talk a lot about NFL football as well as NCAA football coming up tonight on Ira on Sports. But first, Ira, we got to go back to what happened over the weekend. Your boy, Tiger. Saturday was unbelievable. Sunday, he did what he needed to do to get the win. We talked about it on this show. And you predicted that we'll see him back in the winner's circle before the end of the year. Here we go. Your buddy Tiger Woods taking it down. Yeah, I mean, I honestly think only Tiger won a tournament. He just didn't win any tournament. He won the Tour Champions. He won it on the East Lake Golf Course, which is one of the toughest uh, courses on the entire tour. And the people who play this tournament, this was not the Valspar Invitational where people, some players are there. These are the top 30 golfers in the world, and they had to get cut down to be the top 30. You had Dustin Johnson there. You had, I mean, you had Rory. You had Justin Rose. You had everybody playing. It's for the highest prize in the tournament. And for the highest cup, the winner of the FedEx Cup gets $10 million. So it, this, he beat the top field. Uh, this was not a fluke, of course, if you've seen how he's played in the last two months, which has probably been the best golfer on the tour. So it was not a surprise, and he just put everything together this week, the putting, the driving, and uh, and then he's able to use it. The new Tiger is, uh, I mean, the, the comment that everyone said was that the Rory's and the Justin's and the Brooks Kepka's and the Justin Thomas's would not be intimidated by Tiger, but they were. And, uh, I mean, Rory was shot a plus four, uh, Justin shot a plus three. They didn't really even come close to him during the, uh, 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 during the round and the final round. And, and Tiger definitely was weird. Tiger was paired with Tommy Fleetwood the first round. I think he won by three strokes. Fowler the second round was up by three strokes. Rose in the third and McElroy in the fourth. So whatever playing partner he was paired with, he was significantly, I think, over three strokes ahead. Um, and definitely the crowds, the excitement, uh, it, it had a factor. Tiger got the lead that he wanted. Uh, the one of the greatest closers of all time, 22 out of 22 when he has a three-stroke lead. And uh, he was able to do what he did, you know, for 79 other times. Ira, why don't you talk about a little bit of the background of what it took Tiger Woods to get here? Because a lot of people thought we'd never see Tiger win another tournament. So give us a little bit of the history on what's gone into this big win at Eastlake. Well, I think, I mean, I think certainly the personal history has a one in five years. Um, I walked with him on the Honda Classic, and he hardly could walk around the course. Um, that's what I said when we had our show, and I said I just walked with him for three rounds of Riviera. I said he looked healthy. I mean, the other round that I've been with him over the last five years, and he's played sparingly, very uh, is that he's been injured. He can't walk. I think the 18th hole was, uh, was, was so, when he went and he made the final putt, and he stared over the cup. And he bent down to pick up the ball. And now he's probably looking in there saying, Look, you know, thinking about everything he's gone through the back surgeries. I mean, he had three back surgeries, and then he had a back fusion surgery. Um, and he's out there playing, and he looked in the cup. But I remember when he was at the Honda, and his back was bad. And when he, on the 13th hole, when he walked off, he couldn't even reach down into the hole to get the ball. Like, it was just too, too hard mm-hmm. for doing that. I think and it was almost that pause that he had, you know, when he reached down on the 18th hole at Eastlake, that same pause, but it wasn't a pause of being in pain. It was a pause of saying, 
look what I've overcome, look what I've done. What, I mean, I'd love to ask him the question is, when you paused over that hole and you looked to see your ball, like, what were you thinking? What was, what was in that hole? Is that a hole you came out of? Is that, you know, a, a, you know, is that a, you know, something that you felt? But it was just amazing to see uh, what he's overcome in terms of the injuries and those people thinking he would never play at any level, let alone the highest level. 712, it's Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo here with you as well. Ira, you know, I want to talk a little bit about Tiger day-to-day in just a second, but I heard an interesting concept come up today. Is there a story in sports that could possibly beat Tiger Woods coming back? I mean, think about what, what would have to happen for a story to really capture everybody the way this did. Yesterday, it didn't matter who you were. People were texting you, and everyone was saying, oh, my God, we got to watch Tiger Woods about to win another tournament. People that haven't watched a golf event in five years were watching their TV, and it was evident at the 18th hole at Eastlake when there, was, there had to be 10,000 people gathered around there. Do you think there's anything that could happen in any possibility in sports that could be a bigger story than Tiger being back and winning at Eastlake? I don't know, Ty, uh, Michael Jordan coming back and playing. <laughs> that could possibly be at that level. Um, Kobe coming back and playing against, uh, you know, right now, joining um, LeBron with the Lakers and being an MVP call. I mean, it, it's just, it's truly amazing. I, mean, I think Mike Reber on Get Up this morning was talking about what the best comebacks are. And there's been comebacks from injuries. There's, one of the greatest comebacks from injuries is Ben Hogan. Uh, ben Hogan was in a horrendous car crash where a bus, a ground bus, crashed into him, and, and, and he was, almost a cripple, and he came back and won six majors and is considered one of the greatest golfers of all time. Uh, but, I mean, you talk about Mario Lemieux coming back from cancer and, and being MVP. Uh, it's just it's hard to think of an athlete coming back uh, from such a Peyton Manning for the next surgery, coming back and having the best year ever was another good example of someone coming back and having an amazing a Super Bowl, time. So, too, yeah. I mean, there has been a great comeback, but definitely this story in this time with Tiger uh, is definitely the story. Even going beyond comebacks, I think it would take something like Mike Trout being at game 53 out of 56 consecutive with with a base hit. It's something like that it's going to take to really shock the world of sports to where a major record like that, like a record we consider never getting broken. Something like that might get people as excited as it is for Tiger Woods being back. Regardless, he's here, and it's something you have to deal with. Do you want to run down just real quick, because I'm not that familiar with this myself either, um, the way the point system works out, how he'll finish you know, at the end of the day, because he had a chance to actually you know, be the top golfer of the year during this, didn't he? Yeah, it's a weird, it's a very weird system, and we should really spend that much time going over it because it's not going to be at the, from the future going forward. It's similar to almost like what NASCAR has you know, where you have um, points leaders, and so you don't have to win the tournament to win the FedEx Cup and get to $10 million. It was a cut down from three tournaments, and now you're down to the final 30. If you won it and you were in the final five, you were guaranteed to win. But Tiger was 20th going in, so he needed other people ahead of him to finish behind and all these other things. There was a whole machination of a lot of things that had to happen for Tiger to actually win the $10 million bonus in the FedEx Cup. It didn't happen uh, because Justin Rose was finished just ahead of him, rarely, um, by making that final putt on 18. Uh, but he would have won $10 million in the whole FedEx Cup. I don't think Tiger, if you ask Tiger, would you rather win the FedEx Cup or win the tournament, I'm sure he'd say, I win the tournament. You know, he'll win his money. He'll get his money <laughs> in the future. He's not worried about the $10 million. I think it was he just wanted to get that victory and go from. Now, next year, though, it's going to be interesting. They're going to seed at this tournament. If you're the first seed, you're a 10-under. Second seed, it's 8-under. So then the winner of the tournament will be the winner of the FedEx Cup. You're going to have an advantage.
advantage or like a handicap almost going into it. But the winner of the tournament is then going to be the, there's going to be one trophy. There's going to be two trophies, but the person who wins the tournament will get both trophies. And that's for next year's uh, tournament. And I'm kind of excited about that. It seems like people are a little skittish on the format change, but I do like that, the way they set it up. I mean, they, you know, they say, oh, well, if you have so many points, then it'd be the same and you earn points. Like, well, there's going to be certain people who are out of it regardless. You might as well have a Sunday where someone could overtake, you know, went from a minus four to start and beat the guy who was minus 10 to start the tournament. I'm a little bit excited about that. Do you want to go back to round one? This is what we talked about. it. Uh, paired up with Ricky Fowler, Jupiter resident here. They both look really good, and I think they went into the clubhouse leading after the first round. Yeah, I mean, shooting a 65, uh, I think this is, I mean, the one thing that Tiger's been in all these other tournaments, it seems like he's been chasing. He's been coming back. He's been in the mix. I think what when you look at Tiger's victories and when he's been at his best, it's he gets that lead and then he just just, just, just he just he's the best front runner in the history of sports. So he shot that sixty five, had an eagle on eighteen on the par five, and and you saw him playing well. You saw him driving well. I mean, just why a lot of people didn't give Tiger a lot of um, hope in this tournament was because the uh, the uh, fairways are very narrow. The rough is a little, it's not U.S. Open rough, but it's close to it. And they're saying, well, Tigers, he's going to be erratic off the tees. He's going to get himself in trouble on a few holes. He's going to have some double bogeys. And, uh, you know, he's, that's what's going to happen. But Tiger was extremely accurate the first three days. Second day, third, fourth day, not as much. But the first three days, he was very accurate off the, uh, in, uh, driving the ball and keeping in the fairways and then letting his irons do the work. Let's talk about day two for just a moment. You mentioned you know, going in as the leader again. Um, Justin Rose, who is probably had one of the best seasons of anybody that nobody talked about. Uh, I think he was paired with him on 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 uh, Friday, it would have been. He shot another 68, though. I mean, the guy's playing golf. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that what happened, certainly he was... He was playing. He was playing the same type of round he was at on the first day. But on 16, he got a double bogey, and that was one of the only double bogey he had all week. And now that really, I think, set him back in terms of. But still, he's in the mix. I mean, he was still in that mix. It didn't set him down. He doesn't feel like he's battling back from it. So even after the second day, I'm like, okay, Tiger's ready to go. He's going to be in the league group. He's going to be all those good things about Tiger staying there. And I think it was key that he didn't shoot a 72 or a 73. Yeah. And what's interesting about this tournament is that no one else was making the runs. You didn't see Dustin Johnson throwing up and making a run. Brooks Koepka didn't have this run. There, you know, these other golfers were there. People were saying, well, where were all the top golfers? All the top golfers were there. They weren't playing at all. Phil Mickelson was at, like, plus 12. No, you're absolutely right. You can only focus on the guys that are playing well. And I think that they did focus on uh, him and Rose and, you know, through the first day, Fowler. And then we saw Rory tail off a a little bit as it went on. Uh, Talk about the third round, because you said this one went kind of similar to Friday. Well, what I liked on the third round, what he did was that, you know, I think you texted me when that happened. I mean, when he got on that, we got those in the third round to get the six birdies out of the first seven holes. And just then suddenly... Then he took the lead. Then this is what he does. On those Saturdays that he's won the, those 14 majors that he's had, it seems like that's the time on many of the times where he would just separate himself, get that separation, let everyone know he's in, and then say, come get me. I now have the lead. He shot a 30 on the first nine holes. Come get me. And, and, and that's where the extra pressure comes in terms of, okay, now, and, and on some of these courses, people work, it's easier to shoot the birdies, it's easier to shoot the eagles. This is a hard course to shoot that high scores, and you saw what Rory and Justin did later on, on Sunday. They had trouble getting those birdies, getting those eagles, and especially when Tiger's sitting there, and, and Tiger's like, I'm not coming back to you. You're going to have to come get me, and nobody was able to even come close. 
No, nobody was able to come close. And that was when my phone started going crazy. About the ninth hole on Saturday, everyone's talking about, holy cow, you got to see Tiger Woods. What is this guy putting together? And Saturday for me, Ira, I don't know about you, at that ninth hole, I knew Tiger was taking it down. I just had that feeling like, here we go. Tiger Woods is playing the best golf I've seen all season, and it's when it counts. Did you think, you know, Saturday, midway through the round, he had it? Yeah, I thought, I thought after Saturday. Yeah, I mean, he, once he got the lead, once he got middle through the round, I mean, yeah, he he looked, he was putting great, and I liked what his comment after the tournament was. He said, he goes, when I missed, I missed where I wanted to miss. I did miss in bad spots. If I was going to be miss, going to miss the green a little bit, I'm going to be under the hole. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be forcing myself to hit a bad, a really tough next shot. I mean, he was, he said he goes, that's how he played it. He played where his misses were. I mean, it's interesting. The misses where he wanted to miss it. If he's going to miss a certain position, that's where he wanted to have it. That's what uh, out here and just be so dominant. And his pie, everything was coming together. You saw some of these tournaments where he drove well, but he was his iron play was off, or he putted poorly. It's just like everything came together for this tournament. His putting, his iron play, and his drive. It really did. So let's bring it into Sunday, Ira. I felt really good about Tiger going into Sunday. There was pressure on him, though, and there was moments where Tiger Woods had to be Tiger Woods. Tell us about Sunday. Well, first of all, it was exciting because I was just to go to the Dolphin game, so I was planning to go to the Dolphin game, and I was like, I cannot miss Tiger and Rory on a Sunday. So I gave up the tickets for the Dolphins because I, I had to see this. I had to. I didn't want to go to the sports bar to watch it. I, I literally watched it in my apartment because I wanted to have the sound on. I wanted to watch it. And I was ready for Rory and Tiger to have this battle. Like, this is the first time they've been paired on a Sunday, ever. And it was amazing to see that you know, Tiger just started out with the birdie. That first drive down like seemed like it was 500 yards. And then he birdies that first hole, and you're like, okay, he came to play. And then Rory just bogey after bogey after bogey to begin, and Rose had the same thing. I mean, and then it was just, I mean, you know, it's like I, it was just it, it it allowed it allowed Tiger to get that separation of the four and five stroke separation, and I just. If Rory would, if it, was, it was reversed. If Rory would have birdied that first couple of holes and cut it to one or two, then maybe there'd be more pressure on Tiger. But but him bogeying and just driving totally erratically all over the place. But he had dri- driven very well the entire first three days. Um, I think that gave Tiger. I mean, I knew you knew on Sunday he was going to win. I had a good feeling as well. 722, Ira on Sports 95.9, True Oldies Channel. Ira's coming here live from Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, getting ready for the Pittsburgh Steelers, taking on the favored Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who happen to be undefeated as well behind Ryan Fitzmagic, Fitzpatrick. Uh, before we move on, Ira, tell us a little bit about I'm sure you were watching Tiger as he came off the 18th green. Tell us about what uh, he was experiencing and how you took it in. Well, I think one other point that was key about what happened was on the 13th hole, when he was able to birdie that, that was, I, there was some point where he bogey, he had already, he had made a bogey on 10, and then Rose would just four away, and you're thinking, well, maybe he could collapse. But I think when he birdied 13, I think that's what gave him more separation. And then on 15, he misses water on a par 3. I mean, that could have gone right in the water, but it was on the, it stayed, on, it stayed up, but he bogeyed the hole, and then he got nervous on, on, on 15. But Rose just could not come close. I mean, right, it was just, it was difficult. And Billy Horschel had finished uh, with, uh, you know, at, at 900, so he's sort of hanging around in that. So you were just you're just nervous if Tiger would just totally collapse on 17 or 18. But knowing that 18 was a par five, knowing that he'll keep control of that hole, and after he got through 16, you know I felt comfortable that he was just gonna gonna do it. But but 
Center League, got the drive on 18, he's walking down, and then they let the fans, and people were a little confused about all the fans running out, and it only happens on the 18th hole, but not every golf tournament. Like, you don't see at the Honda Classic all the Heck fans, no. like, they don't let all the fans on the Honda walk down 18. It's only a few tournaments. At the Riviera, they do that. That's why I've got some of my best shots at Riviera and Redwood in L.A., um, but not every tournament does that the fans actually walk through the players and can follow them, and that's what, that's the scene that was amazing, and, and, and you know, saw Roy is just running to avoid the fans, and Tiger was just embracing it, and, and I think that's the one key thing that's taken away from this. Tiger has learned how to use the fans to his advantage. The, his support is overwhelming. He talks about it all the time. He says when he's tired, he thinks about how people are cheering him on. I think before they were, the fans were a distraction, he thought he was out there playing golf, and the fans are just in the way, and they're just someone that, you know, that gives him money, so he has whatever. I think now he sees how the fans really help him. They give him energy, and they distract the other players, and he knows that I think I said this on the air. He has 18 holes on the golf course, and those are 18 home games for him. He doesn't have an away game. He's all the fans are always on the side, and I think it does affect these other golfers, and it affects Rory. It affect, definitely affected the golfers on Sunday. And as much as Rory is the second most popular guy player in the world, you saw how it affected him. No, you're absolutely right. We've talked about this before with Rory McElroy McElroy being the second most known and popular golfer on the planet. And he says he can't deal with what Tiger Woods has to put up with. But you're right. It becomes a home game for Tiger Woods, especially down the stretch like this. And this is why uh, we saw him raising the trophy at Eastlake on Sunday in that beautiful Tiger Red. 725, Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, you want to touch on the Ryder Cup a little bit uh, before we get into college football? Because I think the American squad has to be feeling really, really good going into this. Well, you got Tiger, you got Phil, you got Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, Dustin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Koepka, Webster, and Bubba Watson, Patrick Reed, DeChambeau, and Tony Finau. I mean, it, what's going to be interesting is I don't. I'm going to make a prediction. I don't know if Tiger's going to play. They play two two um, groups on on two a uh, morning session and afternoon session on Friday, and the same on Saturday, and then they all play every golf. All twelve players play on Sunday. They might give Tiger a break. Like, you know, Tiger, you would, you know, when Bill one year didn't play one of the sessions, they're like, this is terrible. But they're so deep and so strong. It's like, uh, Tiger just went through this. I'm, I'm thinking they might give a lot of these uh, golfers a break because you're so deep. You don't have a weak golfer, someone who, who is, I mean, Bryson DeChambeau is a, is a, is a, is a rookie, but he won two of the FedEx events just in the past. He's won two, two tournaments in the past three weeks. So I, 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 the Americans are just a deeper team, a stronger team. Now they're playing in, in France, and, and that's going to be hard. And I love how Richard people are going to be booing against Tiger. I still think in France they're going to support Tiger. Like, I, 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 just, I think Tiger is just, he is, if he's playing on Mars, the Martians would be in favor of Tiger right now. No, I agree with you. I don't think anybody, is, I can't see anyone in France, especially with really no vested interest in the tournament, who's the best French golfer in the world. Nobody knows. Um, so, with them not having an invested interest, why wouldn't they be behind him? I think they absolutely will be. And it'll be nice as an American to watch a Ryder Cup where we actually have a feeling that we're going to win because it hasn't been that way uh, for the last couple of years. Iron Sports, 727 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's talk about college football, Ira. A lot of teams that were supposed to win this week did. You think, though, that there's really only 10 teams that can play in the NCAA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I really think Alabama, Georgia, uh, LSU from the SEC, Clemson from the ACC, Oklahoma, West Virginia from the Big 12, Washington, Stanford from the Pac-12, and Ohio State and Penn State. I mean, of those teams, I'd be shocked that if a team makes the Final Four of the playoffs, that's not in one of those ten. I mean, and, 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 and from those ten, 
there's four teams that have totally separated themselves. Like, if you had the playoff today, I don't think you'd have any argument on who the top four teams are. I mean, I think it would be so easy to say, I mean, that you've got Alabama crushing Texas A&M. Uh, they're a 25-point favorite at home. They can cover by a couple points. But uh, two of their quarterback, 387 yards, four touchdowns. He didn't even play in the fourth quarter, 31-13 by halftime, over a very good Texas A&M team that actually played Clemson close. And Alabama now is just, they're one of the best teams I've ever seen because they have their defense and their offensive line and all the power. And now they have a quarterback that looks like Aaron Rodgers back there throwing to anyone he wants. So they are phenomenal. Georgia beat a tough Missouri team, but killed them 43-29. And Missouri was undefeated at Missouri. They had that quarterback, Drew Locke, who some people think might be the first pick in the draft, um, dominated that game. And then Clemson beat Georgia Tech by 28 points. Uh, and now they made it out to Trevor Lawrence is going to start uh, for Clemson. And then Ohio State beat Tulane 49-6. to uh, Haskins, their quarterback, 21-24, 304 yards, five touchdowns. I mean, these four teams are just... They, every week, they're not close in games. They're dominating teams. Um, they are clearly the top four teams in the country. Ira, watching that Alabama-Texas A&M game, we were talking in our group text, you, Sean, and I. Watching Alabama, and Texas A&M, this is not a small program. They're small on the field compared to Alabama. Watching Alabama play against some of the bigger schools in the country, literally bigger size-wise and just student-wise and also prestige-wise, they're just devastating these guys. It's not even close. The Alabama defense runs through any team's offensive line like it's nothing. But that brings me to questions about Tua. Their offensive line is the same way. This is a bunch of hog mollies, and four of these guys are going to be in the NFL. Do you think Tua will end up being an NFL quarterback? Uh, you, you know, you're comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, but I look back and say, well, he is poised in the pocket, and I like that, but the competition and the people in front of him aren't the same. You think Tua's got NFL aspirations? Yeah, I, I, Tua is definitely, I mean, I, I heard street, there's been a lot of, I mean, I've heard Mel Kuyper say that in two years, Tua could be the number one pick in the draft. His accuracy is unbelievable, and that's what makes, you know, Alabama has had good quarterbacks. A.J. McCarron played there. Jalen Hurts is a good quarterback. They've never had a quarterback with this type of accuracy that is just getting the ball. I mean, he's making almost every pass, every read. But they have the athletes. They have the great wide receivers. They have every day. They have players getting separation, and he's just taking advantage of it. So games that Alabama would play in, that would be the slugfest of 14-12, and they would just use... Other teams could come back and, and, and win those games if it's tight. I don't think anyone, I don't think Alabama's going to be in a close game. I, they might get down 7 nothing, 14-7, but they're going to blow teams out. Tua has that ability, and they'll be able to separate the field. And if you want to protect against the pass, the running game, they have four NFL running backs on their team, and they're going to be able to run. There's no stopping Alabama. Well, it's funny that you say that because that was one of the things people were talking about Calvin Ridley going into the season in the NFL. He was the number one drafted receiver. But he's playing with Jalen Hurts, and they're a run-first team with Jalen Hurts. So people saying, watch and see what would have happened if Ripley, uh, Calvin Ripley played in the Big 12. Just a team where they're airing it out the entire time. He His stats would be gaudy. He still went first, and as we saw yesterday, he's capable of putting up gaudy numbers. But it does bring things into, into hindsight as you watch college football, knowing that Alabama's never really had this kind of quarterback. I would have loved to see Ridley playing with Tua a couple of years ago. That would have been exciting. This is Ira on Sports. It's 731. I'm Mike Balsamo. This is the True Oldies channel. Still to come, we're always whale watching in South Florida, Ira, and the Miami Heat may be on whale watch duty. We'll touch on that, plus uh, plus the NFL coming up in, in just a couple of minutes. 
Anything else you want to touch on in college football? I know you're getting set for uh, Penn State and Ohio State, and this is going to be Penn State's you know, division championship right here, as early as it, as it is in Week 4. Well, Penn State, I mean, there was, there was three games that set up this weekend. Penn State beat Illinois 63-24. But Penn State's defense is like the Steeler defense. It's horrendous. I mean, they did not play well. I mean, they were a 25, Illinois was a 25-point underdog when they were up 24-21 and uh, over Penn State. Uh, Penn State, you know, the score looks at the end because they converted a lot of turnovers and scored, but I just don't see Penn State beating Ohio State. I mean, I'm rooting for them, but it's going to be a big battle. It'll be a big upset. The Stanford-Oregon game really set everything up. Stanford was down in that game. Oregon had the game won. Oregon just had to kneel down, but they chose to run the ball. They fumbled. Stanford then scored, sent it to overtime. Um, that set up a game against Stanford's number seven against number eight, Notre Dame. Notre Dame beat Wake Forest. They made a change at quarterback to Ian Book. And, uh, but this is a must-win for both Stanford. I mean, if Stanford and Notre Dame want to get in the playoffs, they have got to, they just can't lose a game. They have to win this game. So the winner is almost only Notre Dame's rest of the schedule is Virginia Tech, Pitt, Navy, Northwestern, Florida State, Syracuse, and USC. Not very good teams. So this is like, this is, you got Saturday night, you got the Penn State game, and then the Stanford Notre Dame game. Four of the top ten teams are going to be playing each other, and it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. For- but, um, uh, but I just I want to add the big big upset from the weekend was I mean there were some like Kentucky beat Mississippi State was fourteen Texas Tech beat Oklahoma State was fifteen Texas beat GCU which was seventeen so what I'm saying is the back end of the top twenty was losing but that Old Dominion beating Virginia Tech uh, 49-35 uh, when they were a thirty some point underdog they were given a one percent chance to win the game they had <laughs> lost. Um, it was what they said one of the largest upsets in 14 years. Um, Tech won 38 nothing last year. They were they were ranked number 12. They had just beat Florida State two weeks ago, and to lose the Old Dominion didn't have a football team 10 years ago. Uh, they were it didn't even have a football team. Just moved up to play Division One football, and uh, just amazing. I watched the game. I watched the whole fourth quarter, and it was it was played at Old Dominion, and to see the team and the upset of what they did, how Virginia Tech, how poorly Virginia Tech played, and how Old Dominion just even when Virginia Tech hide it, then they went and still took the game from them. It was a very, I love college football upsets, and that was a classic Old Dominion Virginia Tech classic upset. I grew up loving Boston College, so I love anytime Virginia Tech gets beat, because they seem to always, they love to play the spoiler. And I love to see them get spoiled as well. Like you just said, got crushed by Old Dominion, forty-nine to thirty-five over the weekend. A couple of games you're looking forward to next weekend in college football, Ira, and one of them's not on everyone's radar: Washington versus Brigham Young. Well, I think there's two games: the Washington BYU game. Again, if Washington wants to be in it, they can't. BYU uh, already <sighs> beat Wisconsin earlier this year. They're a sneaky, very good team. And again, some of these teams, I mean, this is what the plus people say the college the season doesn't matter. The season does matter. These teams cannot afford a loss. So if Washington loses that. And then the other good game is Clemson Syracuse. Syracuse two years ago upset uh, Clemson. Uh, they, uh, Syracuse is playing really, really well. They're undefeated, which is shocking. Um, and I think that might, this might be one of the toughest. The ACC does not look good this year at all. And Florida State and Miami were supposed to be much better than they are here to be playing. But um, uh, but this could be this could be their biggest test for the rest of the year, actually, for Clemson and uh, playing uh, Syracuse. Let's talk before we move on because I know there's a few teams that you think are just. 
playing horrendous. As far as we go for expectations, one of them is going to be Nebraska, and this is a team that we always feel like is at least going to stay in games, Ira. And then another one is one that is close to home for us, you being a Pittsburgh guy, me being a New York guy. We all have a soft spot for Rutgers out of New Jersey, and both just do not look good. Well, Nebraska's 0-3. They lost. They were down to Michigan 39 nothing. And I watched the game. I had, to, I, was, I had like five games on at the same time. And <laughs> Nebraska is a disaster. I mean, Scott Frost left Central Florida to go there to, his, uh, to revitalize the program. And that loss to Michigan, was it was not competitive. It was literally not a competitive football game. And to think what Nebraska was. Remember, they, how many, you know, they won two national championships in three years, and they were dominant. They were turning players in the NFL year after year. Um, they're, they're really hit rock bottom. And Rutgers lost at home, forty-two to thirteen to Buffalo. To Buffalo, Rutgers is is just. I just cannot believe that they're in the Big Ten. Um, there's reasons why they were, but to, to not to be where Rutgers is located with the, the power of recruiting, uh, they really. I think you got to give Greg Schiano credit because he's actually won with that program. But this year, just to, to lose by thirty at home when you're a Big Ten uh, team is just embarrassing. It is embarrassing. Um... Ira, let's move on. We'll touch on baseball. We got NFL coming up in just a minute. I want your NBA points, but you're a huge boxing and MMA guy, and we had a busy weekend of it. And Anthony Joshua is going to retain his heavyweight title. Yeah, I mean he's he's a fighter that is exciting, but he doesn't fight in America, and he fights in the afternoon. And when there's Tiger playing, and when there's um, uh, for college football, nobody is watching him, and it's amazing that the heavyweight champion of the world fought and won, and no one was not even on TV to find it being a weird cable internet channel that you had to watch it. Um, but hopefully, he will come to America, and he will fight in America, and he will get to see him. You know, because you need the heavyweight division to be strong. But it looks like Devontae Wilder and Tyson Fury. Two other heavyweights, Wilder's an American. They'll fight, and then maybe something will work out. But, uh, I mean, the buzz right now in the MMA boxing world is McGregor fighting in two weeks uh, in, uh, in a very, very big match in Vegas. So, I mean, that's what... But it's a shame that Joshua, who has a win... I mean, I, as I said, I'm watching Tiger. I'm watching... I'm a huge boxing fan. I didn't see them. I didn't see... I lost all the, the replay of it, but I couldn't watch it live. What do you think about McGregor's shots here? I mean, I feel like he's more show than substance at this point, but you can't bet against Conor McGregor, and I think that the betting public is going to be behind him uh, as he fights in two weeks. Well, you know, this MMA fight, MMA did something really smart. You'll see, they're in a lot of bars. So if you expect on two weeks to go out to the bar and to you know, your normal bar, you're going to be watching this fight, or you're going to be paying a cover, because they have, it's like locked everywhere. And uh, Conor hasn't fought in two years, and I have an MMA match. We're not talking about the Mayweather one. So, I mean, this is, and the Khalid, the guy he's fighting, there's definitely, I mean, he's the favorite to win this. I mean, people really feel, I mean, there's, and they definitely do not like each other. I mean, that's what, who he was attacking when he attacked the bus. So it's going to be a great match. It's going to be exciting. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about it next week and the, after, the week after. 7.38, this is Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira is live at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay getting ready to see Monday Night Football as the Pittsburgh Steelers take on the undefeated Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, Ira, let's get into football. I love the NFL because it's weird. There's so much parity. Anybody who claims that they know that, say, Buffalo would make the playoffs last year, is lying to you. Anybody who said they thought the Eagles would win the Super Bowl outside of downtown Philadelphia is lying to you. Um, anybody who said this year the Browns threw three games and have a better record than the New England Patriots, 
was lying to you. And nobody said that anyways. <laughs> um, Ira, let's just look at week three. We saw a lot of interesting stuff. What do you think was the most impressive performance, team or player, that you saw this weekend? Detroit over New England last night. I mean, you're sitting down, you just had all the excitement with Tiger. Um, you want to watch Brady play, and wow. And the Lions, who have looked horrendous uh, this year, I mean, just the game was not even close. And I know New England starts out poorly in the years, and it's not. I'm not ready to say they're finished, it's done, it's all over. But that game, that, that Lions, that, that, uh, that, that was just, I mean, both teams now one and two. Um, it's just, I mean, Brady needs Gordon, Josh Gordon, who they signed from Cleveland, and Adelman coming back in a week. Uh, but Kerryon Johnson was the first Lion rusher in five years. Five years that 100 yards. So I think it was like yeah. Tiger won his last tournament, and a Detroit Lion rusher at 100 yards. <laughs> so they held the ball. How did the Lions held the ball for 40 minutes? I mean, this team, I mean, this is the only team that was the favorite to win the Super Bowl last year, and I thought. I predicted would win the Super Bowl, and Detroit killed him. Uh, so I, I think that was the most shocking event of the whole weekend. My most impressive performance, obviously you could talk about the Bills. It just, it, they manhandled the Minnesota Vikings. My most impressive performance I was going to go out to, and I hate to say it, the Washington Redskins. Uh, I'm a Giants fan. Nobody wants to talk uh, highly about anybody inside the NFC East once you're a fan of them, but they beat the pants off the Packers. The, the score is not as close as it dictates. The Redskins were in the driver's seat the entire game. They had Aaron Rodgers looking befuddled, kind of the same way Detroit had Brady looking like he, he had no response to them. So I give a lot of credit um, to the Washington Redskins. And my other, you know, just heartfelt, impressive performance goes to the Tennessee Titans, winning a ugly AFC South matchup, 9-6 to over the former, former AFC South champions in the Jaguars, giving them their first loss of the season. So uh, good job to Mariota, who came in about four plays in, <laughs> in replace of, uh, of Blaine Gabbard after some injuries. Good performance, both of them. Ira, what do you think? Most disappointing performance, team or player, that you saw last weekend or this weekend, who do you think? Well, the most disappointing, I mean, well, that would be the Patriots, but I, I thought Jacksonville, you know, that you mentioned the Jacksonville game. Jacksonville acts like they're an elite team. An elite team doesn't lose to a team that doesn't have a quarterback. And yep. it's like the bad Blake Bortles. Like, they don't get any offense. I'm no wonder for that's not playing. And I know the defense played great, but they, they have got to beat Tennessee. Like, they cannot lose that game. They can't. They need to put 25 or 30 points up. Uh, and I think that was, to me, uh, just, I mean, waiting for, I mean, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the undefeated teams and the teams that have lost. It's a parody of the NFL. This is an example. There, nobody put, just they could not put the stamp on the season. Jacksonville is not, like, announcing the world. Look, this AFC is ours. We're the best team. We're undefeated. They couldn't do that. And I think that on a team that, that literally had no quarterback. They had Blaine Gabbert. They had Mariota who can't throw the ball. Um, they were back and forth. Um, it was just the best game to watch, and they couldn't win the game. No, you're absolutely right. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars and you talk as much trash as Jalen Ramsey does, you got to win games. And you got to beat the Titans, who another anomaly made the playoffs last year at uh, sub 500. So there are weird things that happen. You got to beat the Titans at home in big divisional matchups like this if you want to get back to the AFC Championship game. 743, Iron Sports, 95.9, True Oldies Channel. What do you think was the most. Um, significant upset. You know, granted, the Bills beating the, the Vikings, that's a big upset. 
But that's not necessarily significant as far as the season plays out because the Bills are still going to be the Bills. The Vikings will probably still make the playoffs. So, Ira, what do you think? What was your most significant upset of the weekend? Well, I think significant would be, I, I, I mean, in terms of that, it would have to be certainly the Lions over, over the Patriots in terms yes. of significance. The Bills over the Vikings, again, following with the Jacksonville statement. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, that game was over. And, and I've watched the Bills now play two weeks. And I sit there and I watch like a zillion football games and I have all the TVs on at a bar watching them all. And you just saw, I'm like, what is going on? I mean, Kirk Kaiser looks terrible. He was throwing interceptions, fumbling the ball. The Bills, Jerry Hughes for the Bills on defense was just, it seemed like he was in the backfield, like he was playing running back from this. I mean, they were, they were blocking him at all. And Josh Allen, his first start, I mean, he's leapfrogging over defenders. He's completing passes. He looked amazing. I mean, you know, they're like, wait, these are the Bills. They have looked so bad. They got beat by the Ravens by 100 points the first game of the season. <laughs> so, I mean, that was what, I mean, I was shocked by that in terms of the overall, like, again, I think the Vikings are the Super Bowl team. The Super Bowl team doesn't lose to the Buffalo Bills 27-6. to just doesn't happen. No, I agree with you, and that was the shocker of the 1 o'clock games for sure. For me, though, as far as like significance, I'm looking at the Giants beating the Texans in Houston. This is a good win for the Giants. It was an ugly game all around, but these are games you have to win. If they had lost, Pat Shermer's head would be on the chopping block today. It'd be a disaster in New York. There are certain games you want to win, and they beat a, a Texans team that hadn't won a game yet. They let it be a little too close, but still, the Giants walk out of there with an upset at 27-22 to 22 over the Texans, and it keeps the Giants' season alive because the rest of our division just looks like crap, to tell you the truth, the NFC East. Not that it was an upset, but I think that Seattle, beating the Cowboys the way they did, goes to show you that this division, one, is wide open in the NFC East, but two, I'm counting that as an upset because this was a game, the Seahawks are bad, but let's not take anything away from it. They're not a very good football team. They beat the Cowboys handily. So it's time to start looking at this division as, once again, even with the Eagles coming away with the win, they didn't look great against a bad Tex- uh, bad Colts team. So uh, the, that significance-wise showed me something that, wow, the NFC East is up for grabs and Jason Garrett starting to start watching for that hot seat to be getting hotter. Ira, there's four undefeated teams left in the NFL. You're going to see one of them play tonight against your boys, the Steelers. It's Tampa Bay. Miami, Kansas City, and the Rams. The latter two of that group, a lot of people think are pretty good. The former, they don't believe in so much, but these teams love being underdogs. Of those four teams, who's going to stay undefeated the longest? Well, Kansas City's at Denver next week. Kansas City's, at, then they play Jacksonville at home and they're at New England. I gotta think that Kansas City is playing awesome. Their defense is still poor against the Steelers. Look, I think Kansas City is a very good team. They could go to the Super Bowl. They have a great offense, but their defense is not elite. And not even close. Not yeah. having elite defense, they could have a poor offensive game. Um, Miami could lose, probably lose to New England next week. I think they'll be a, a, a touchdown underdog. Uh, Miami really hasn't beat anybody there three and zero. They didn't look that good against Oakland. They've been out of the schedule. But for Miami's sake, it's like that, they're doing what you have to do to make the playoffs. Because you have to win these games. Because maybe you're looking at a at, you're looking at football right now that eight and eight and nine and seven not will get you into the playoffs. So now they have three of those nine games and they have thirteen more to go. So that's good. I mean, it's good to be able to get these wins when you have to. I like the Rams. The Rams are quietly just 
Boss and Gurley and a strong defense. I mean, they're just destroying teams. They have Minnesota, they're at Seattle, at Denver, and at San Francisco. I would think that the Rams of any team, and I wasn't high on them when the season started, but I'm, I'm sort of starting to get convinced that the Rams, they beat the Chargers 35-23, and they just look like a team that is just knowing what to do. And they're, they're, They look like, right now, they are the best team in the NFC. I agree with you, 100%. I think the Rams are the best team in the NFC. That game interesting uh, yesterday was interesting, Ira, because they let the Chargers, I don't want to say hang around, but if that was a game where they weren't scoring points, if they only scored 13 points, the Chargers were only going to score seven. They just, they would let the Chargers kind of, you know, toy around with the fact that they were in this game. But then, like you said, here comes Gurley, and they just can't stop the guy. Jared Goff is the making of a future MVP player. This guy makes the throws when he needs to. He's cool and composed. And by the way, their defense is the best in the NFC. Maybe outside the Vikings, but they just let up uh, 30 plus points to the Bills. So I got to love the way the Rams look. I'm all in on them, and I do think that they can get the furthest out of anybody. But Casey's a little scary. I mean, these guys are going to win some games, but they could pick up a a loss here in the next three weeks. So I do think the Rams have wins for. Let's talk about the winless teams. Don't want to bring it up, Ira, but you guys are on that list with a tie. Pittsburgh, Houston, the Raiders, and Arizona. Who's going to re- remain a winless the longest? Well, the Steelers better turn it around fast. They had Baltimore. They play Monday night, then they come back and play Baltimore at home. And you know those Baltimore Steelers games are always Ugly. hard-hitting. and, and, and Brutal. Uh, the, the Steelers are looking, I mean, could you imagine the Steelers going 0-3-1? I mean, that would just be unbelievable. But this is, and it's not, all this talk about the Steelers, the Lavian Bell, the Antonio Brown, it's their defense. This is, Joe Hayden is coming back, playing corner of this game. Um, ever since Ryan Shazier went down, uh, this team from last year to this year, uh, the defense has been, uh, I'm telling you, it, Ryan Fitzpatrick could put up 60 points tonight. Um, uh, it has not rained. The field looks dry now. Um, and, uh, but it is, there's a ton of Steelers fans. But I mean ton. There's, um, you would say that there's a, a nice smattering of Buccaneer fans in the club right now, and you feel like they're at a Steeler game because there's way more Steeler fans than Buccaneer fans here. Let's um, just real quick. If the season ended today, Ira, who is your MVP? Well, Patrick Mahomes for Kansas City is definitely playing at the highest level. I mean, 13 touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, you would say right now he's been dominant. Let's see if he continue to do this. But at this pace, I think he's won 65 touchdowns at this pace or 70 touchdowns. So, but he's playing phenomenal. He passed Peyton Manning yesterday on his second or third touchdown uh, throw for the most ever in three games of a season, and that was before the half. So this kid is on a roll. It's ridiculous to see, and I do think there'll be a a correction in the market. We saw Deshaun Watson do this last year, and obviously he suffered a gruesome injury, but coming back this year, people are game planning for him. We saw what happened with RG3. We saw what happened with Kaepernick. These guys can be adjusted to. Will it happen with Patrick Mahomes? I don't know. He had a play on third down yesterday where he scrambled. They were in field goal range. He scrambled back 15 yards, broke three tackles, and then threw a seam for a first down. So I'm not counting this kid out. He's definitely my MVP if the season ended today. Let's talk fantasy for a little bit, Ira. I am, as you know, discouraged today. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, one of the key parts of my franchise, he went down for the season. So let's talk about um, whether injuries or just something you see, if you're, who are you using your waiver claim for this week? And I hope that your uh, fantasy rivals aren't listening. Um, 
Well, I looked on my list. I mean, there was like, a lot of people picked up Jordy Nelson for the Raiders, and if you watched the game, you saw him you know, at 150 yards in like the first quarter, and you're thinking, wow, maybe, uh, I mean, you know, so you're thinking, wow, you know, Jordy Nelson doesn't play with the Packers anymore, plays for the Raiders, and you think that the Raiders are going to get their offense going, and Nelson's someone they're going to throw to. And I saw in my, in my leagues on CBS, he's at 60% and uh, 40% of the availability, so I thought Jordy Nelson would be a, a person. Um, uh, and at Dallas Goddard for, before, uh, for Philadelphia, he's a tight end. Uh, you saw now that Wentz is back, their chemistry, and a lot of people were predicting he was going to have a big game, but he's still available in a ton of leagues. And the, and the uh, Miami wide receivers, Wilson Grant, the two wide receivers, yeah. they, they played well. I mean, they, they, those are others that are like owned in like 5 or 10% of the leagues. So it was interesting to see how well they do. And running backs, uh, Smallwood, the Eagles are a mess. Everybody's hurt, and it looks like Smallwood's getting all the carries. And if you're looking for a running back, and, and, and I expect the Eagles' offense to start clicking even more than it is. So I'm not, it was once his first game back in, in a year. So like, give him some time, and I, I think that Smallwood's going to play a big role in this team. No, I agree, and and I do think that the Darren Sproles era with him already announcing retirement after this year, I can't see him being in a rush back. Wendell Smallwood kind of fills in that position, so I do think he should be at the top of your list. He looked better than Corey Clement, Um, maybe not yards and stats-wise, but when he was on the field... He looked like the guy that you wanted to be controlling. 752, Ira on Sports, 95.9 True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. What about a sell high, Ira? And this is the time of year in fantasy where you can make a score by selling high on somebody who you don't think is going to really pan out to his numbers the rest of the season. If I had Patrick Mahomes, I'd have him on the block for everybody. If you want to give me back Matt Ryan and a starting running back for Patrick Mahomes, I'm taking it. What about you? What's your sell high? Um, I don't have a sell high. I don't have a really a great sell high right now. I mean, in terms of trading, I think that uh, I think that you're looking in terms of which running backs have done. The running backs are weird this year. Uh, they, you see a guy like McCafferty. Christian McCafferty had 185 yard rushing last week, and the week before he had 14 catches. You're seeing them. You, I think what you're noticing is you're in a PPR league, it's points per reception. You have to get the wide receiver running backs that are catching the passes. You cannot just have, you know, the, like even last night, Chris Carson for Seattle. 20 carries, 100 yards, and a great game, but you're not getting the, you, 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 all, you have to get, the, if you're not getting the, the receiving yards with them, you're going to have weeks where you're going to only score like five fantasy points. So I think the key is that you really should just start moving into those. Like I'm talking about buy low, I like like Hunt for uh, Kansas City, who their offense is so dominating, you're saying teams are going to adjust to Mahomes, well, they're going to adjust to him, and then he's going to start using Hunt more, because right now he's throwing to Kelsey and Watkins and those places. So I do think that, that there, there's some of these running backs that have these slow starts in terms of running yardage like Hunt that are going to have a better you know, rest of the season. I have good sell highs. If you happen to own either, either of these guys, Adrian Peterson, as you brought up, if you can sell him high right now, get rid of him. I, I mean, I, I don't think he's going to have a bad season, but it, to anyone to think he's going to play 16 games, especially dropping 102 touchdowns a game like he did last week, sell him. I, I, if there's a spot on your team you need, because he's going for a premium right now. Also, Calvin Ridley. I think that the, he's going to be the top waiver claim this week if he's not owned in your league. If he's not owned in your league, I want to be in your league. But if you do have him, this is a guy right now to put on the market and try to get a top-end wide receiver talent 
for a guy who is really the third option on that offense, but has had two good weeks out of three. 755, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, before we wrap this up, I know you got to get to your seats live from Raymond James Stadium. He's getting excited to see Big Ben versus Fitzmagic, the story of the year. Ira, NBA. It's not every day that a superstar comes out and says, I want out. Especially when you have an amazing talent like Carl Anthony Towns next to you, which I guess it's coming to light that they don't get along that well together. You're a big Heat fan, Ira. Do you think Jimmy Butler could fit on the Heat? And as a fan, do you want him? No. I, I don't. It looks like, the, again, I mean, it's weird. We, it's one thing when Kobe wants to demand and some of these elite players are checked when he's in his prime. But when you got like Jimmy Butler, to me, is a complimentary player on the team. He's a good player for the Bulls, but he's not a great three-point shooter. He's a good defender. He's a good player. But now he doesn't want to play for Minnesota. He didn't get along with everybody in Chicago. He didn't get, I mean, it's like we asked that you don't, it's, he's like asking these teams to design a team around him, but you're not really a great player. And I don't, I don't think he's the answer. Like, I don't think for the, I don't think that, you know, he's the right, I don't think it's the right move for the Heat. He's not the right superstar. If you're going to invest in a superstar and pay money to a superstar, he's got to be a superstar. I don't think Jimmy Butler is that superstar. He's 29. He's going to answer, you know, be 34 years old. I just am not sold on him. And I know the Heat are interested in him because they need to make a splash. They want to do something. I still think he's the right guy for the team. I've, I, I, you know, I've followed him. Yeah, I've watched Jimmy play, Butler play many, many games. Um, He's, as I said, a very good complimentary player on a good team that has other players. Like, he'd be someone like on Golden State that would fit in well, or some other teams that, but he just cannot be the star of your team. No, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think what you said is correct. I think in Miami, they're looking for a, quote, whale, is what they call it. They, they want to make that splash. I don't think Jimmy Butler is the guy that you pay that to. Granted, the league's changing. Salary-wise, someone's going to pay Jimmy Butler a max contract for five years. He's going to be at 34 and 35 years old, making $40-plus million a year. As someone who wants the Heat to succeed, I don't think he's the guy. And like you said, Ira, I don't think he's the guy you can build around. Great, and Even Kevin Love, like not even this year. Kevin Love three years ago, they realized, Kevin Love, he's a double-double machine. You don't build a team around him. He'd be great on Golden State. He'd be great on Houston. Throw him in there in the mix. I don't know. Do you see Pat Riley's only got a few years left, Ira? Do you see him trying to make one splash here before it happens? Is there even a deal the Heat could put together to bring him here, even though you don't want him? What do you think? I, I look the Heat are trying. I don't see how it works. I hope they don't make the trade. Um, I. I think they're trying to do it. I just don't think it fits, and I just I think it'd be disappointing. I, I feel like I just it's not enough, and it's not good enough. And, and again, they've been they've been having they had Chris Bosh's contract for a couple years, which they could use. And I just think that you can't have a contract and and, and, and eating up all your salary cap space. If there's no salary cap, yeah, go sign Jimmy Butler. But if you're locked <laughs> into it, then you know I think that uh, I, I just. I hope they don't make it, but it's supposed to be done by the show next week. We're going to talk about it because the owner said they gave a Tuesday deadline to make the trade. He's not at training camp right now, and uh, so he'll be traded. And also, do the Heat want a player? Like, they already have Whiteside. They have players that, you know, I, I just, I know Butler plays hard, but, and he's a hard player, but he seems to get all, he doesn't like playing with younger players, doesn't have time for them. I just don't think it works. I, I'm not, for, they already have a veteran like Dwayne Wade to give counsel. I don't think Butler adds anything to this team. No, I agree with you. Uh, I, I don't see it either. I, I think the Miami fans are salivating for it, though, and it seemed like the only friend he had 
in Chicago before Chicago booted him out of there was Dwayne Wade. So I think that's what people are clinging to, that this might be a guy. And, and I think that a lot of Miami fans, Ira, are just looking for, let's cement ourselves as the third best team in this conference. Uh, and I think that's foolish. I think they could be the fifth best team without him. So I, I understand where it's coming from. I just, I, I really don't see it happening uh, much like you. It's 759 Iron Sports. Ira is in Tampa Bay, Raymond James Stadium, 15 minutes away from kickoff. His Pittsburgh Steelers going to challenge the favorites in this game, the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, Ira, before we let you go, got to know. Bucks are hosting Pitt tonight. Pitt's getting a point and a half. How do you like it? Uh, look, my heart says Steelers. My head says no way. My head says this is Ryan Fitzpatrick's coming out party on Monday night. And he might throw six touchdowns. The Steelers' defense has got it's, forget the Antonio Brown, forget Le'Veon Bell, forget that they're going to have to score a lot of points. And James Conner's going to have a great game. But this game is going to be uh, they're, it's we need they're bringing in the, the uh, footballs right now with um, uh, by, uh, the uh, parachutists. So are pretty cool. But this is an electric atmosphere. It's exciting. Monday night football games are great, and uh, it hasn't rained in a while. So, but it's going to be a great game. I mean, it, it, I mean, the over I, I, is just going to be each team. This game could be one of the first games I can remember because each team could score fifty points. But the Steelers are going to need to score fifty to win. But it'll, I'm, I'm excited for it. I like that you're being realistic, knowing that this Tampa Bay team scoring points and the Pittsburgh defense doesn't look so good. I do think this is going to be a shootout, and you're going to see it tonight. Ira's going to see it live. It's Monday Night Football. The Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. We're out of time. Ira, thank you so much as always. We'll catch up next Monday night. Ira on sports.